mercury, thimerosal, vaccines, neuropsychological outcomes, cover-up, or much ado about nothing. For answers, join me, Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. My guest today is Dr. William Thompson. Dr. Thompson is a psychologist, epidemiologist, and biostatistician at the National Center for Immunizations and Respiratory Diseases, Influenza Division, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, Georgia. He has served in the office of the Chief Science Officer, Immunization Safety Office at the CDC. He is the lead author of the paper, Early Thimerosal Exposure and Neuropsychological Outcomes at 7 to 10 Years, published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Today we're discussing the ifs, ands, and buts of thimerosal safety and its controversial issues. Hi, Dr. Thompson. I'm glad to have you joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable. Hello, Dr. Rutenberg. Thank you for inviting me. As a pediatrician who has immunized several thousand children with a clear conscience, I know how I feel about this, but critics and skeptics are already starting to surface. One such criticism comes from Sally Bernard, executive director of Safe Minds, who said, the conclusion misleads the public, implying without qualification that a relationship has been disproved. In fact, the study was unable to prove either the presence or absence of a causal relationship. It sounds to me like she's discussing what Nassim Nicholas Taleb, in his best-selling book, The Black Swan, calls the round-trip fallacy, confusing the statement, no evidence of disease, with the statement, evidence of no disease. Does your study prove, does it now give us the evidence that there is no neuropsychological disease related to vaccines? And how would you respond to Ms. Bernard? Ms. Bernard was involved in the design and uh, review of results and editing early drafts of the manuscript in this study. And I respect her opinions, and she provided a lot of input. I think that we have some differences of interpreting the results. So I think the CDC and the authors on the paper consider the results of this study reassuring that thimerosal does not cause neuropsychological harm. So understand Sally's concerns, and we discussed some of the potentially concerning results in the study and the discussion, um, specifically those in which we found a higher number of ticks among boys who are exposed to higher levels of thimerosal. But in the broad scheme of things, we carried out 378 statistical tests uh, that we presented in the manuscript. We actually carried out many more tests than that. Among the 378 tests, there were 19 that were significant, which represents 5% of the statistical tests, which is what we would expect by chance. So we think the results are reassuring, and we think that vaccines are safe and have been safe, and they continue to save lives. Regarding the ticks, were there any other risk factors for ticks identified in the study, family history or other particularly stressful situations that may induce ticks in children? This was a unique part of the study design. We agreed up front on the analysis plan. So we finalized the analysis plan in September 2002. And we stuck to that analysis plan and didn't deviate from it. So in that analysis plan, we controlled for what we call a priori confounders or covariates such as mother's IQ, birth weight, and 
other factors that might be related to these outcomes. We controlled for those in the study, but those weren't the focus of the study. And like I said, we implemented the analysis plan as stated up front, so there would be no accusations of fishing for particular results or fishing to find particular effects. I know it's the era of evidence-based medicine, but I still like gut reactions. In your gut, do you think the ticks were related to the thimerosal and the vaccines or just independent covariables? I think that there's pretty strong evidence that these were chance associations, but I also like to believe that results that replicate are more meaningful. And because the tick finding was found in two previous studies, my scientific cat says this could be something. In the study, and I may have missed it in looking at the paper, were there any measures of mood and emotions, antidepressants being one of the most frequently prescribed medications for children, or at least they were until the FDA issued yet another warning. But what is the effect of thimerosal on the, for instance, what could the effect of thimerosal be on the limbic system? My training is as a psychologist, so I probably wouldn't be the best person to tell you or hypothesize how thimerosal might affect the limbic system. But we didn't include any measures of emotional well-being or any of the traditional psychological outcomes regarding socio-emotional development. I think that comes out more in the separate study that we're carrying out, which is the autism case control study. So we're looking at 256 kids with autism spectrum disorder and matching them to three controls. And autism is really, you know, a disorder characterized by difficulties in socio-emotional communications and deficits such as that. So I think that study may be better designed to find, an, if, if it did find an effect, it might suggest something about an association between thimerosal and socio-emotional outcomes. I'd like to welcome those of you who are just joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. William Thompson from the National Center for Immunization and Respiratory Diseases, Influenza Division at the CDC. We're discussing the ifs, ands, and buts of the CDC's publication showing no significant neuropsychological effects of thimerosal in vaccines. The psycho-emotional, again, I understand that the brain is one of the tissues that may selectively or perhaps increased uptake of the thimerosal, the mercury. Wouldn't it be important to look at the social and emotional issues as well as the neuropsychological testing? I think there were two things that drove the studies that we carried out. One was the possibility that ethylmercury was similar to methylmercury, and methylmercury is the mercury exposure that you get from eating fish, um, certain types of fish. So in the fish studies, there were particular outcomes that were associated with methylmercury exposure, and we included those same outcomes in this current study that was um, published in the New England Journal of Medicine. So one hypothesis was that exposure similar to methylmercury, if ethylmercury is similar, then we might find the same associations with the same outcomes. And then the second piece was that we had this earlier CDC thimerosal screening study in which we found an association with ticks and language delay. So there was never any hypothesis that thimerosal caused socio-emotional problems so you could argue in our current study in which we had 42 outcomes, you could argue that we threw too broad a net 
even within the current study. So I think to throw a broader net would have just increased the likelihood of finding chance associations and making it very difficult to interpret the results. Are you aware of any studies that are using functional MRI or SPECT scans of the brain to see if there are any differences in children that have had thimerosal exposure in those that are now getting the current, pretty much, thimerosal-free vaccines? In the last several weeks, discussing these results with um, neurologists, neurologists have suggested that as a possible study to carry out. So I think that is being discussed and making sure that you had a good comparison group or making sure that you had a, a good high thimerosal exposure group and a good low thimerosal group, exposure group that were similar in characteristics that would be important if we were going to try and do a study like that. Another thought I had, and I tend to free associate, and this obviously would have to be an animal study, but what about using thimerosal with a tracer or radioactive thimerosal so that you could really look at the deposition and persistence of thimerosal in the critical organs and get a direct measurement? Yeah, they actually did one study like that. So the NIH funded one study with non-human primates with rhesus monkeys, and they gave the rhesus monkeys the same amount of thimerosal as you would receive in terms of dose per kilogram relative to what children received during the 1990s. And that study did find that a lot of the mercury was excreted through the stool, but some mercury did make it to the brain, but that was both ethylmercury and methylmercury, but it was difficult to interpret what that meant. In the study, you defined the postnatal exposure as micrograms of mercury divided by the weight of the child in kilograms at the time of administration of each vaccine. Yes. How did you determine whether that was a better measure versus the total cumulative body burden of mercury? So that, you know, the small child is really getting as much thimerosal as the heavier child, and how do we know that it's really not the total amount of mercury or thimerosal that the child is getting that could be the factor. Yeah, the, there's two things to note about that. One is if we did it either way, the results are highly correlated. But again, the thinking was that early exposure was considered to be the greatest concern. And our expert consultants, which included toxicologists, suggested that the best measure of the mercury exposure was to take that amount received from the vaccines and divided by their body weight at the time that they received the vaccine. So even though, I, I mean, I know that we looked at how correlated the exposures were, I know that the cumulative exposure without dividing through by birth weight is highly correlated with the exposure dividing by birth weight. So I would hypothesize that there wouldn't be any difference in the results. With the removal of thimerosal from the vaccines, is this issue becoming a moot point at this point? It's becoming moot because it's, thimerosal is, is, has been removed from all childhood vaccines except for some formulations of the influenza vaccine. But the influenza vaccine does have thimerosal-free pediatric doses, so parents can request and make sure that their child receives a, a thimerosal free flu vaccine if that's what they would like. Unfortunately, that's in low supply. It is in low supply. I haven't stayed up to date on this year's supply. So, As much of your career has been spent in the influenza division at the CDC, I feel this is a fair question for you. In your opinion, should we be more worried about thimerosal or pandemic flu? That's a tough question. <laughs> um, pandemics occur every so often, and when they do occur, 
a lot of people die and a lot of people are hospitalized. So what people should be concerned about with thimerosal is that I think that you should be trying to, well, like we said, it's a bit of a moot point because thimerosal is removed from most childhood vaccines. But pandemic flu is a potential real problem, and we are attempting to plan for future pandemics. And being in the flu branch, I'm acutely aware of it, and I work on modeling scenarios of pandemic flu, the spread of a pandemic through small communities, for example. We model that, and those are very concerning. Those models raise big concerns about how well prepared we are for a pandemic. Thank you. I know that was kind of a curveball. <laughs> yes. I'd like to thank Dr. William Thompson, who's been our guest. We've been discussing the ifs, ands, and buts of thimerosal safety. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com or visit us at reachmd.com. Thanks for listening. I wish you good day and good health.